Hi, I'm Kieran. And I'm Riku. And welcome to Artificial Ever After, where today we're going to be chatting about... ChatGPT. Hello. Hello. Welcome back. Yeah, welcome if anyone's listened to the first episode. Um, welcome to our episode on ChatGPT. Yes, where it all started. Yeah. Well, we, we mentioned in the previous episode, didn't we, that this is a, a big part of why we wanted to make this podcast. Yeah. Just the current state of, of AI and, and how many people are using it. And, and a lot of that started because of ChatGPT. Yeah, exactly. So I guess the plan today is to... Um, we're going to kind of split this GPT topic into two parts. And for this episode, we're going to go through a bit, just a bit of the history of GPT alongside its founding company, OpenAI. And then we're going to kind of tr- do our best to explain how kind of GPT works under the hood. Yeah, what it's doing. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's why we wanted to split it into two episodes as well, because trying to do that in one episode is, is quite tricky, because we wanted to keep these episodes short, didn't we? Like around half an hour. Yeah, exactly. And also, in order to kind of understand part two, which is going to be on like uses and ethical issues and things, we feel like it's important to kind of understand how GPT actually works from a slightly technical perspective. Because yeah. then the way it's been used, the way it shouldn't be used and things are probably easier to understand, maybe? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, this is definitely going to be the more technical episode out of the two. So, you know, strap yourselves in, but we'll, we'll try and demystify it as, as much as possible. Yeah, hang in there and uh, <laughs> be a bit of a journey. So ChatGPT is this AI chatbot. So you can go to the website. If, if anyone hasn't tried out ChatGPT, you can just go online to the website and communicate, just chat with this AI chatbot. And it can basically answer any question that you ask it pretty much. It can do a load of different things, can translate languages. So it's this, it's super capable, really cool AI tool that people can now use for free. Yeah, it's almost, I mean, people started to use it as their best friend and things, right? Snapchat, yeah, yeah. Facebook. Loads of different applications. Uh, and it, well, it's not the only chatbot around, is it? So I think that it was the first one that kind of caught people's eye when it was released and was in the news. Loads of people were using GPT, ChatGPT to start with. But since then, lots of other big companies have started releasing similar like AI chatbots that do basically the same thing. Yeah, yeah. But... ChatGPT is still the most capable and and probably the best at the moment. Yeah, and since it's kind of the first one that broke the broke the water, mm. we're probably just gonna start with this one first. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it's probably also like a bit of a household name at the moment. I would say I think a lot of people would know what you're talking about if you mention ChatGPT. I mean, I've got this st- statistic here, which I still find kind of crazy, but ChatGPT as a website is the fastest growing internet platform ever um, and it took just two months for, for it to reach 100 million users um, and, and to put that in context Instagram it took 2.2.5 years to get to that same level of usage um, and, and Facebook was four and a half years granted obviously that was a long time ago but even still the fact that that's today that's really really quick adoption and usage of, of that website so People were just flooding to to chat GPT to try it out and see what it was all about, basically. So if you haven't, you know, maybe hit pause and, and go give it a try um, and, and then come back to the episode. But yeah, um, let's get into a bit of a history of, of OpenAI and and GPT. So is that yeah. the first thing we should quickly clarify? Yeah, well, yeah, we should definitely clarify what difference between GPT and chat GPT is. 
Yeah. So, so chat GPT is the chat bot that you can obviously go online to the website and use. But the GPT part of that is this AI model that is is working as the kind of engine that's, that's powering the chat GPT chatbot. So that is how it's how it's doing what it's doing, basically. And, and OpenAI as a company, as, as much as chat GPT is, is very new to us, they have been releasing these GPT models for a while, haven't they? Yeah, well, it's been kind of a while. Yes, yeah, so that's the thing. So the first one came out in 2018. Mm. Although, when did OpenAI start? So 2015 was when OpenAI was founded as a company. Um, and I didn't know straight away when I kind of heard of ChatGPT. But uh, and many of you may or may not know, but Elon Musk, who you probably have heard of, was one of the co-founders of OpenAI, uh, along with several others. But he was obviously one of the most notable names, uh, along with Sam Altman, who's still... Um, CEO and, and head of OpenAI. There were other co-founders as well. Uh, Reid Hoffman, who's the founder of LinkedIn. So there's lots of these kind of entrepreneurs, business people, who all got together and pledged a billion dollars to to start OpenAI together. Um, so that was yeah, that was back in 2015. Yeah, and then 2018, they released GPT one. Yeah, exactly. Which, yeah, so that was the the f- first time they actually released something, wasn't it, as a company? Yeah, and should we should we quickly say what GPT stands for? Oh, yeah, that's a good point. We haven't clarified that yet, have we? So, is it generative pre-trained transformer? Yeah, that sounds about right to me. We, obviously, as we go on, it will make hopefully a bit more sense what those words mean. But yes, that is it is an acronym standing for these technical AI terms. Um, yeah, they're all technical, aren't they? It's not really a I know they don't easy way to. Yeah, do you think the fact they just threw like chat in front of it was just to make it a bit nicer, <laughs> yeah, yeah, a bit more accessible? But um, yeah, the the generative pre-trained transformer is definitely not easy to swallow. But uh, just before we go into the like actual history of these GPT models, one thing to note that's quite interesting about why OpenAI as a company as well started in the first place, uh, it's in the name, so the open part. Elon Musk has said since, and I'm, I'm assuming the other co-founders too, but they, they wanted to start this company um, to release open source software. So that's the open source part. So making it publicly and freely available to the public um, so that anyone can go online and, and see the code and, and access these models. And the reason they wanted to do that was to start developing these very big, powerful AI tools in a way that was most likely to benefit humanity as a whole. That's literally the wording that they used when they released it in the statement in 2015, but they wanted to do it to benefit humanity and not as a kind of capitalist thing. Um, but they never actually have been open source. They never have released any of these GPT models. Yeah, well, why Why do you think that's the case? I mean, something big happened in 2018, right? Yeah, well, it was actually right before they released their GPT model, didn't they? Yeah, that Elon Musk left the company um yeah what was that about that was about um so i i initially thought from reading as well like a lot of the stuff online says that um it was around the time that tesla one of elon musk's other companies was putting more money and investment into self-driving cars which the way that they were doing it was with ai artificial intelligence so the initial thing that you can see online and what OpenAI released at the time was that he didn't want to be like competing for talent by working for OpenAI alongside Tesla because they're kind of one in the same people, the same researchers as each other. But there's since been like another kind of reason that's come out, hasn't there, Merge? Yeah, so the other reason was that they had a board meeting and decided to go no longer become a non-profit 
organization, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so they, that's another thing too. If started as a non-profit, um, but then Elon left because he didn't like the way things were going and, and no longer kind of agreed with how they were operating and, and thought it wasn't the, the same as what he intended it to be as a company. So then, should we move on to GPT-2? Yeah, so the second version of the model. So interestingly, um, they didn't actually release the full model straight away in 2019? Yeah, yeah. So they, they'd mentioned that they'd, had, they'd built this model and they were saying that it was um, getting a bit spooky, that it was able to craft these really convincing and um, descriptive fake news stories is what they were testing it for. Um, and they, for that reason, decided not to release it straight away because they were a bit concerned to, to release something like that to the public. But then they did later that year go on to release GPT-2, so they must have done something there that, that kind of improved it or stopped it from, stopped people being able to use it in that way, maybe. Yeah, I remember there was a lot of hype about kind of sentient AI at that point. I think GPT-2 was the kind of beginning of that hype. Yeah, people starting talking about it being, you know, just a, is, is there something more going on than just AI, which we could definitely do an episode on, on getting into those um, questions, which maybe even part two, we might touch on that sort of stuff, like, you know, what's what's the kind of ethical implications of, of these AI tools. But um, yeah, so they did eventually release it in 2019, didn't they? Um, and that was a much bigger model. So it was more powerful. Um, it was trained on roughly 40 gigabytes of, of text data was going into this model. So like it's quite a big model, a lot bigger than the first one. Um, but again, that was only the second version of this model. So that was in 2019. Um, the same year that they uh, became a, a capped profit, so they were no longer a non-profit organization. Yeah, and then also in 2019, same year, Microsoft planned to invest $10 billion in OpenAI. Yeah, so that's kind of coincidental. It's around the same time that, you know, Elon Musk has just left. Uh, so it's obviously they're looking to like restructure as a company. They shed their status as a non-profit, and then all of a sudden Microsoft has partnered up with them and, and saying that they want to invest $10 billion in OpenAI over the next few years. Um, which is a lot of money. <laughs> That's a lot of money. So yeah, that was 2019. And then 2022, they released uh, another version. This was the third version now of this big AI model, GPT-3, that again is a lot lot bigger than the first one, the second one, sorry. So each time they're just like scaling it up and building these models bigger and bigger and they're getting more and more powerful. Uh, so that was 570 gigabytes of text that went into that one. Wow, so it's like... Over 10 times yeah, the amount of the... In the first one, yeah. So it's a lot bigger. 22, yeah. Wow. And then, so that same year, so in 2022, we get chat GPT, right? Yeah, so that was a date that a lot of people may know. So that was the point that I, they probably, you know, came onto most people's radar and was in the news and everything for OpenAI was November 30th, 2022, when people could go online to chatgpt.com. Uh, and that was basically representing this GPT 3.5, so this small improvement on the last model, but it was on this chatbot that people could then go online with and, and interact and ask it a load of questions and see how spooky it was. Yeah, and we'll go into a bit more specifically the difference between ChatGPT and the GPT models later. Yeah, and then, so one last thing to note on the history, so that was GPT 3.5 in 2022, and then a lot of people also may know that after that, so now, as of today, we've got this GPT-4 model. So this is the latest version of this, these models that OpenAI are releasing, GPT-4. And you can get access to that model if you pay $20 a month. Um, and that is then the next version of this model that's bigger, more capable. So um, if you go onto the website for free, you're getting this 3. GPT-3.5. 
and then if you pay money for the premium version you're getting the newer model that's that's better yeah that's so that's that's an interesting point so you mentioned bigger models and being more capable so should we quickly just go over so the the size of the model mm -hmm. has been increasing since the first gpt yeah so in 2018 was gpt1 which had 117 of these things called parameters yeah and probably the easiest way to think about what a parameter is is just like if you imagine the model is like a brain mm. um gpt1 has 117 million of these little neurons right yeah which sounds like a lot and at the time it was the biggest language model to date but just one year later when they released gpt2 they managed to make the brain 10 times bigger. So that had 1.5 billion parameters. And then, so from GPT-2 to 3, we then get 175 billion parameters. So that is 100 times bigger brain than GPT-2. Wow. So what's really interesting is we have exponential growth, mm. but from GPT-1 to 3, we have exponential, exponential growth. <laughs> Which sounds scary. Yeah. Sounds uh, very fast. It does sound very fast. and. I mean, it's still exponential, but GPT-4 is, is only 10 times bigger than GPT-3, so which is still exponential, a, but... A bit of a sigh of relief. Yeah, maybe, maybe that does kind of point to the future. Maybe we're going to start tailing, out, ta tailing off mm. the size of these models. But, I mean, they're still exponentially growing. So, still, just, Yeah, still yeah. improving and getting better and bigger quite quickly, yeah. Yeah. Cool. So that was a quick overview summary of like the history of OpenAI and these GPT models between 2015 when it was founded and, and where we are today in 2023 with GPT-4. Um, so yeah, obviously we've said that GPT is this kind of engine powering chat GPTs. So that's the AI model here. So let's now describe and try to explain what it's actually doing, like how how is ChatGPT working and these GPT models, what what are they doing? Um, so we've obviously said, we, we said the big words, didn't we? The generative pre-trained transformer. So the technical terms, so these models that OpenAI have been releasing are what's known as large language models. Um, so do you want to quickly describe what an, an LLM is? Yeah, so in the most general sense, large language model is just, you know, some AI model that understands language. Mm. And that's a very general definition and many different ways you can understand language. But in particular with these GPT models is that the way they are trying to understand language is by predicting the next word in a sentence. Yeah. So one way to think, you know, how, how does this actually work is if you imagine that you're, you're born in a library mm. or something and you're trying to understand language, you can pick up any book like Harry Potter, uh, Childhood favorite yeah. and if you take your thumbs and kind of just pick as many words as you'd like in between them so let's say a sentence yeah, yeah let's say a sentence yeah or you know nine words right mm. in between your thumbs you'll you'll read the text and the goal is to to guess what word is under your right thumb yeah so what's going to come next yeah because, yeah, in English, we're going left to right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> got, got to include all languages. It's I'm better. looking at you the opposite way. So I was thinking, wait, hang on, left, is that the next word? You say, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so so what you do is, you know, you're, you're in this library and you, you pick up a book. You have 10 words in between your thumbs and you want to see what the 11th word is. You, you guess. So, you know, you get some kind of sentence that ends in, you know, the sky is. And you, you might guess, like, onion 
or <laughs> yeah, or, or blue, or, or you know something more logical like blue would probably be the case. Yeah, but um, and then you move along. You look yeah, you, you, and you go okay. Let's let's test myself. You pull up pull up your thumb, and it could say cloudy, and go oh okay okay. So mm. that means there's something about the sky and the word cloudy that related. Yes, yeah, so it's something in those words that you've seen in between your thumbs that can help you or you'd hope that can help you guess that next one exactly so imagine you do this for you know every harry potter book and every book that's ever been mm. you're you know you might have initially started thinking the sky's onion is a reasonable prediction but after reading all those books you'll realize that sentence has never come up yeah <laughs> so, <laughs> that we know of you never know well yes yes exactly but, yes. but you'll probably notice that the colors will come up the sky is you know could be sunset yeah cloudy and you can quite intuitively see how you'd be able to learn that without ever seeing what a sky is. Yeah, or knowing yeah what color the sky you know like act like physically is. You just see it within the text. But what's important to note is that the sky is an onion, maybe in a book somewhere, and you may come across that as the first instance. But what will start to happen over time as you read more and more, you start to guess what is most likely to come up given what you've read and what are in what's in most books. Yeah, that's that's really yeah, that's a nice intuition I think mm. for how these kind of how something that isn't alive like a like a computer can actually kind of gain some understanding about language yeah. just by these statistical patterns. So that that's yeah, that's a great analogy and I think it's a very intuitive way to see what these like GPT models are doing. But I know so in the last episode we mentioned how these deep learning models, which is what these large language models are, um, check out our previous episode if we that we clarify the difference between like machine learning, deep learning. So this is a deep learning model, and that it sees its you know it starts to represent and and look at the data in its own way. So one important thing to note, and and we'll go into now a bit of the technicalities of this transformer model, but it's not seeing you know it's not reading it like we see in in english language it's we have to represent that data in in numbers in some way so to to quickly explain what's going on technically so we we take the the sentence that you go and and type into chatgpt.com or you know all those letters that are in between your two thumbs and we have to represent those in numbers some way so the way that this is done I think a good analogy for this that, that I thought about when I was first trying to understand this is to think of like an Excel spreadsheet, right? So what we do is each column in your Excel spreadsheet is for an individual word. Um, now, if some of you have heard the phrase token, specifically each column represents a token, but for ease of explanation, let's just say it represents a single word in the sentence in, in each of the columns. And we, we go again, from left to right, whereby the last word that you type into chatgpt.com is the far right column of this Excel spreadsheet. And what happens is um, we represent each of those words in the spreadsheet by a load of numbers. So they represent all different kinds of features and information about each individual word that's that's in that sentence. Um, And if you have similar words, um, which I think of an example here, two words that are very similar will have similar numerical representations yeah like maybe the first row in this numerical representation could be the the goodness of the word yeah, so yeah. then that means like the word i don't know brilliant and great will have maybe like a positive number mm. whereas terrible and i don't know sad will have like a negative number in this in this goodness dimension yeah yeah and maybe 
brilliant is slightly more positive or a bigger number than great or something like that. So, but these are just some features about um, these words. And just for some context about how many numbers we're talking about here. So in most of the models today, and, and GPT as well, you have between four and 8,000 numbers that are representing each word. So there's loads and loads of numbers that, that go into representing all different kind of features about these words. So we create this grid whereby we have all the words in the sentence going across the columns, and then we go down the rows representing features about the word, and we send this grid through this GPT model. So because it's a deep learning model, we have all these layers which the numbers are sent through. And what happens is each of these layers is transforming that grid of numbers somehow. So it's doing something, it's, you know, it's performing some mathematical operations to this grid as it, as it passes through all the layers. And each layer is doing something unique. And then all, what happens is you go through all these layers. Another thing to note is that most of the models today have between 60 and 100 of these layers. So it goes through all of them and pops out the other end. And then what happens is we add an extra column to the right-hand side of this Excel spreadsheet, so an additional column of numbers, and it, the model uses that grid after it's been sent through all these layers to try and predict and fill in that new column, which represents the next what would be the next word in the sentence. But like you were saying with the, the two thumbs, like we already know what the next word already is. So we already know what that column of, of numbers is going to be, but we want the model to try and learn to predict it. So what happens is when it sees what numbers actually are, it goes and makes loads of tiny little adjustments to what's happening in those layers so that each time, you know, as it's reading more and more books in that library, it's getting better and better at predicting that column of numbers. And then what we do is we, we have our kind of dictionary of all of these numerical representations. So think about a dictionary whereby, you know, we'd, we'd turn to a page and it would describe a word as we're used to seeing but imagine you turn to a page and it describes a word with like 4,000 numbers we sift through this dictionary we find the word which is closest to the one that's been predicted by the model and then what happens is we remove the far left hand column of the grid and then start the process all over and over again and it just repeats going through sending this grid through the layers and that is how, if you go to chatgpt.com, you see it kind of typing out. That's what's happening at the heart of this model. Yeah, and I was wondering this when I first heard about it, like, well, how is it knowing to stop? And mm. a quick thing about why kind of we use the word token or word is because we can put punctuation as a token. So mm. after, I don't know, a certain sentence, when it's statistically likely for the sentence to end, yeah. it will predict the kind of the numerical representation of a full of stop. A full stop. So yeah, wow. That's how it ends. It you know, it treats full stops and words almost like the same thing. Yeah. So from reading those all of those books in the library, going back to that analogy, it kind of learns. Yeah. From reading so many books, like you said, like when a, a sentence is kind of long enough, or, or from the words that have come already, when is the natural end to a sentence? Yeah, when to put a dot, dot, dot. Yeah, yeah, maybe it is a dot, dot, dot. <laughs> um, so, but the really cool thing that's happening here and like the, the magic about these models, like how they, um, like what they're actually doing in those layers uh, to, to transform this grid is, is how they're able to predict the next word. So I think the easier example to describe is, is imagine instead of sending a sentence or text through these layers, imagine that we're instead sending an image through so we've got an image and we represent that as a grid of numbers instead so 
one easy example to explain is is imagine that one of the layers is kind of like applying a filter to that image. So it could, for example, be blurring the image so that it's really easy to see what's the kind of general outline of the picture or one might be doing the opposite of that. So it could be sharpening the image so you can see where the edges or corners are in the image or like applying color masks, so making it black and white and stuff. And as you do that, you send it through. And then by the end, the idea is that you apply all these different filters so that you can see a lot more about the image and what's in the image and the context. So the way that that's happening with language, when we send a sentence through, is some of those layers may be looking at kind of like the grammar in the sentence, where the, where the full stops are and, and where the kind of ands and ors are. So it understands each word in the context of that sentence. So that is how it's that that's how this these GPT models are predicting the, the next word in a sentence. That is a first step. That is what these models are, are doing at the, the heart of it, isn't it? Cool. So that's a nice kind of intuition for how these kind of GPT models learn how to predict the next word through the numerical representations. Mm. Um, so that, that's the GPT side of things, right? Yeah, so that's the yeah the GPT part of Chat GPT. So that's the these these models that they've been releasing, but this chatbot has has something more to it, doesn't it? Yeah, GPT. They're, you know, they're made from models, and now we're on you know three point five and GPT four. They kind of plug into this Chat GPT framework. Yeah. Um, where where the GPT model is just the engine for this Chat GPT interface, and the the kind of thing I want to talk about on this is is this method called RLHF. So that stands for Reinforcement Learning with Human Feedback. Mm. That's another mouthful. They, they love these awful acronyms, don't they? Let's just stick to the acronyms, I think, yeah. RLHF, yeah. <laughs> um, the problem with just leaving a GPT model on its own is that it predicts the most statistically likely next token or word, but that's not necessarily going to be the most useful for you. You know, When you ask it a question or something, or um, you ask it to do some kind of task for you. Mm. There's no guarantee that the most statistical next word is actually going to be the most useful. So yeah. that's the that's the problem statement. And OpenAI have thought about this great idea of, well, how can we kind of use the language model to create another model that actually answers your questions for you? Mm. And, and that's what RHF does. So the first step is you just you take a load of questions, which are called prompts and you know sentences and things for GPT to complete and give you an answer. And the first step is you get humans to actually kind of write their own answer and give an example of useful answers. Mm. And that kind of um, and you show these to GPT and you, and you do many many times. I think they did over fifty thousand oh, for the first one. So they had a load of humans just in some factory, just kind of yeah. It must have taken a while. Yeah. Yeah, it must have. I don't know. You need some preachy people to do that kind of job. <laughs> but um, yeah, so that kind of pushes the, the AI to actually learn what's useful versus what's most statistically likely. So that's the first step. And then the second step is kind of the problem with writing examples all the time is it's very time consuming and it's very expensive. You have to pay all these people to you know give their knowledge to the AI. So mm. instead, a much quicker solution is you get GPT to produce lots of model answers, and then you just rank which one's the most suitable right. to completing the you know the given question or the task. So could we say back to that analogy of a librarian that we've got kind of someone else, you know, maybe like a, an actual human or or a grown up or something, as this librarian's you know been born and growing into the library that 
sees what they're doing and what they're predicting and is is kind of punishing them or like guide <laughs> maybe guiding them to better uh, help you know point them in the right direction to, to yeah for, for those that aren't in the AI community. <laughs> Kieran said punish because in reinforcement learning, that is kind of the word, that's the terminology we use. Yeah, no, I'm not just a, a you know, sadistical human who likes, yeah, that, that is the right terminology, yeah. But um, but yes, in this analogous you know, library, yeah, it's kind of like you have this little being that has never seen the real world and you ask it a question and it can only ask, answer using books in the library and you go no no in reality it's a little bit yeah a bit more yeah. nuanced and and in reality the sky is not an onion <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> um yeah but yeah so we kind of reduce the cost by doing this preferential ranking rather than writing examples um but then when it, when it gets a bit funky is that um what what and what opening i did that worked very well was they trained a separate ai to learn how the humans would rank the outputs of the GPT model. Mm. So, and they did that for, um, yeah, that required a lot of human input to kind of do yeah, the ranking. To train that. But eventually you get this kind of AI that is taught by humans that is then used to teach the GPT kind of outputs which one it thinks a human likes the Would most. Would like the best. Well, that's kind of a bit crazy, isn't it? And then and then what do you do? You leave, you leave these two AI models to kind of get married and leave them for hours on end with <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. powerful GPUs and then you get chat GPT so and it's worked clearly I know it sounds kind of weird and that it, you know it, that you could train a computer to say what a human would think is is the most human response but it, it has worked because you know if you go to chatgpt.com it, it kind of it does sound and feel very human when you talk to it doesn't it yeah for sure and um we kind of touched on this earlier that the GPT models have been a, around for a while, you can actually access the, the, the transform model itself. Mm. And ChatGPT is this thing we just described, which is kind of the, the task completion yeah. version of it. If you ask, if you, you can do it yourself, if you go on, online now, it's, it's called a playground, OpenAI playground, yeah. you can access just the pure transform model. If you ask it to complete a task, I am very confident that if you ask ChatGPT to complete the same task, it would do a better job than Much just better, GPT. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, and it has the kind of nuances of, of human communication and, and yeah, how, how to correctly answer a, a question specifically, but also loads of different tasks as well, doesn't it? But and another thing too with, um, you know, when we mentioned earlier with these 100 million users, like when everyone was flooding to the website, there's also on the output, if you go on ChatGPT, you, you, there's a little thumbs up and a thumbs down button too. So what's also now happening, and I think a, a lot of people think this is what's going on as well, is that... Um, you know, as, as this model is being exposed to more humans and more humans are communicating with it and asking it questions, it's then learning and this RLHF is improving even more based on these this this kind of feedback mechanism, isn't it? So so as much as you had the team at OpenAI to begin with, again, this is probably a reason why ChatGPT is most capable and, and most widely used is because you've also got all these humans now interacting with it as well and, and just making it better at answering your questions. Yeah, it's like a self-fulfilling cycle of learning. Like yeah. it's, it's displayed... A lot of utility, people use it, and then we're making it even better. I know. So I wonder if that, you know, if this kind of head start that OpenAI and ChatGPT has is is therefore like, you know, is that gap ever going to be closed? That's an interesting question. Is it it's something yeah. we might touch on in the in the next episode? Well, so. well yeah, that's yeah. We, we should definitely. There's a lot to talk about here, isn't there? Yeah. And um, we'll, I know maybe tease tease some words, then move on swiftly before we digress. But you know that. Um, 
that drift and yeah like ai drift and these hallucinations and all these things so um yeah very very interesting topics in the next episode but i think that was a good summary of, of open ai what gpt is and, and hopefully it's you know explained how it's working in in a simple way obviously you know it's a some of the most advanced ai models that are out there at the moment and, and even the people at open ai are, are kind of still figuring out how exactly it's working but that is kind of you know the the as hopefully as technical as we can go without getting it too confusing but yeah hopefully that paves a nice foundation to kind of get we, we now should have the intuition to understand which tasks it fails in and which ones yeah. it does very well in. and there's a lot of surprising results that have come out actually yeah so that's next episode so stay tuned we'll be talking about the applications and how people are using chat gpt the impacts that it's been having and and some of the ethical considerations yeah and i guess uh, just kind of finish off with a question because mm. uh, we did have a a listener kind of uh, uh, I had a little debate with a listener actually about what intelligence actually is mm. and something we covered in the first episode wasn't it we were talking about you know when we we're defining AI and stuff what is intelligence yeah and, and kind of um, Kira and I kind of went around the lines of like goal goal based decision making mm. goal driven or the ability to complete complex tasks but um, a listener kind of didn't think that was uh, doing the definition justice. So anyway, mm. we'd like to ask you what you think intelligence is, and it, feel free to kind of send your definition in to us. So yeah, what uh, what's our email? Yeah, so you can reach us at contact at artificiallyeverafter.com. So yeah, send in your what you think your definitions of intelligence, any questions you have about ChatGPT as well that we could hopefully cover in the in the next episode. So yeah, stay tuned. Stay tuned. Thank you. See ya. Bye.